Greetings, family. I hope you're having a great day thus far. This is Tachi, your friend, talking all about media tech and pop culture news. You know what time it is. It's time for Mediascope Brief. Roku has hit a new milestone. Those of you that are cord cutters know you have many choices, and some of you, like myself, have chosen Roku. They've hit a new milestone as its market share continues to soar. So they revealed that they reached 15 million monthly active user accounts as of June 30th, marking user growth at 43% year-over-year, according to TechCrunch. The company also announced that it's the leading TV streaming platform in the U.S. in terms of total hours. In the first half of 2017, users streamed nearly 7 billion hours on the platform, up 61% year-over-year. As of December 2016, Roku accounted for 48% of the active streaming players in the U.S. That's pretty good, Roku. So one of the key advantages Roku has over the competitors is its inclusivity. Roku is open to any content regardless of the provider. So for example, in the U.S., Roku offers 5,000 streaming channels, which enables access to 500,000 movies and TV episodes. Amazon and Apple, on the other hand, are not platform agnostic when it comes to content. So they hold back offerings of content from content from competing vendors. The broader choice of content is probably the main reason that the video streaming service has the ability to capture users' engagement. I know I did some research before I picked what I was finally going to use, and inclusivity and access was one reason I chose Roku. So know and rest assured that you are amongst the growing number of Roku users if you use Roku. Okay, and again, we've talked about cord cutting ad nauseum, but if you wish, go ahead and call in and let me know, are you using Roku and how you like it? Or if you found a better platform for your purposes and why you like that. I hope you're having an outstanding day and you know I'll be back in just a few with another Mediascope Brief. Cheers. Welcome back, Mediascope family. This next Mediascope brief has to do with this quiet giant of a social platform aimed at business users. Yeah, you guessed it. I'm talking about LinkedIn. There could be something big coming up in terms of video. In fact, there is something big coming up in terms of video. LinkedIn is set to roll out a function to natively upload videos on LinkedIn via the mobile app, according to Business Insider. Soon, you're going to be able to take and upload videos with LinkedIn's updated in-app camera or upload clips from your phone's camera roll. The native video feature is currently being tested as we speak in the U.S. with a batch of users and publishers, and LinkedIn is planning to bring this worldwide in the coming months. So, you know, first the influencers get it, and then the rest of us that are chopped liver, we get a crack at it. (laughs) So if you're a video creator, you will have access to viewership analytics, including one unique business-minded metric. So in addition to the standard analytics suite of views, likes, and shares, LinkedIn is also giving details about specific viewers with information on where they work and their roles. Hmm. However, these job-related insights won't be provided for every person who watched the video, just a section of the top viewers. So kind of like a yeah, cross-section of the population that watches your video. 
Very interesting. Ah, I don't know that I want people knowing. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. These videos can last up to 10 minutes, though LinkedIn recommends a shorter length, ranging between 30 seconds and 5 minutes. As with LinkedIn's previous pre-existing in-feed videos, user uploaded clips are going to play automatically with the sound off, and it will be possible to turn off auto-playing in account say it settings so you're going to be able to turn it off when you go to your account settings if you don't want it to play automatically like facebook and twitter linkedin's count linkedin counts a video view after three seconds of playtime. so you want people uh, you know obviously you want people to stay longer than three seconds but three seconds is what counts as a view native linkedin videos with unique analytics and an emphasis on short form content could prove to be a revelation in several domains. So one, networking and sales. Analytics about where video viewers work and what they do gives substantial opportunities for networking, recruiting, generating sales leads, etc. Two, media distribution. Influencers and media companies can now use this video sharing option to do all sorts of things, including distribute content and develop their audiences directly on LinkedIn. So you don't have to cultivate an audience elsewhere. You can cultivate it on LinkedIn. Three, user engagement. LinkedIn actually has a problem and that's a retention problem. It has over 500 million members, but only a fraction of them, about 23% use the platform on a monthly basis. I'm guilty of that. I'm trying to be better, but you know, the engagement there is not as high as I would like. So actually viewers average just two minutes a day on the site compared to 30 minutes and 50 minutes with Snapchat and Facebook. Maybe this video is a way to pull in users and retain them. Advertising revenue, so they don't currently serve video ads on the platform, um, but this is something that will probably happen, it's inevitable, and probably soon as video becomes native on LinkedIn. This is exciting news. Those of you that are LinkedIn users or trying to become better users of LinkedIn like myself, this is something that could draw an audience and keep your attention. I think it'll keep mine. All right, well, tell me what you think. Are you a LinkedIn user? Do you not pay attention? Do you not give a damn? Do you know that Microsoft owns LinkedIn? Anyway, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming months once they release this to the general population. You know I'll be back very soon with another Mediascope Brief. Cheers, guys. With me, everyone, welcome back, because it's time for another Mediascope Brief. SoundCloud says that it's going to survive, but how is it going to survive? In case you didn't know, SoundCloud has had a little bit of trouble in recent weeks. They said they're not going away though. Last week, they announced layoffs, 173 employees, which is half of their staff, as well as the closing of their offices in San Francisco and London. And TechCrunch later found out that these layoffs and other cost-cutting measures only gave SoundCloud enough money to operate through quarter four. This was taken to mean by everyone that SoundCloud was going to shut down. But CEO Alex LeJong says the company is not going anywhere. He wrote a post and they said, quote, last week we had to make some tough decisions to let go of some of our staff, but we did this to ensure that SoundCloud remains a strong, independent company. Mm-hmm. This was in a post called SoundCloud is here to stay. LeJong's post came shortly after Chance the Rapper posted on Twitter that he was working on the SoundCloud thing. So apparently they had a fruitful 
call and he it's here to stay. So does this mean that Chance the Rapper has invested somehow in SoundCloud? Because remember, that's how Chance the Rapper got started on SoundCloud. We shall see in the coming weeks. Uh, TechCrunch reached out to them in an attempt to figure out what happened on that call, if he invested, and it says, they said rather, quote, as an active member of the SoundCloud community, Chance connected with co-founder and chief executive officer Alex LeJong to inquire about the rumors and speculation circulating. So... We'll see. Chance's takeaway is reflected in his tweet saying SoundCloud is here to stay. But what's missing from the statements is how SoundCloud is going to survive. It's an online music and podcast streaming service that enables artists and creators to upload, record, and share their tracks. It also gives unsigned artists an easy way to reach a whole lot of their fans. It gives people an easy way to listen to all of the best mashups, remixes, DJ sets, and I use it to listen to podcasts. And in fact, I I say this all the time, my podcast that I do with my good friend, Kevin No Malone, our podcast is hosted also on SoundCloud. So we have a vested interest in SoundCloud not closing, although we're on other platforms, but I'm really intrigued to, to know what's going to happen with SoundCloud. So let's see if Chance the Rapper is able to give SoundCloud a chance and they will be able to operate for years to come. So, but, you know, Chance investing money in it, that's just one thing. They've raised money before. What is going to be their business model to ensure that they are sustainable and they don't always have to, quote, call on Chance the Rapper's types of folks (laughs) to bail them out. And not that they were doing that in this case, but that can't always work. So they have to have some sort of sustainable model to ensure that they, as they said, stay free and independent. Okay, thanks for listening. See you in a few or talk to you in a few. Cheers. So our next story is about something near and dear to my heart. Those of you who know me know that I have a lot of favorite things, but three things in particular, Tesla's, Hamilton the Musical, and Doctor Who. And so, imagine how warmed this Whovian's heart was when we found out yesterday who the next Doctor is. The 13th Doctor is Jodie Whittaker, and yes, she's a woman. So the next Doctor is going to be a woman. She's the first woman to be given the role, according to BBC.com. And the new Doctor's identity was revealed in a really interesting trailer broadcast at the end of the Wimbledon Men's Singles Finals. The Broadchurch star, and she stars in the uh, British uh, show Broadchurch, succeeds Peter Capaldi, whom I loved, who took over the role in 2013 and leaves in the forthcoming Christmas special. Whitaker is 35, and she said it was overwhelming as a feminist to become the next Doctor. She'll make her debut on the sci-fi show, When the Doctor Regenerates, in the Christmas special, which I always live for. She's a Huddersfield-born star who was um, the late favorite to become the Doctor, and she'll become a familiar face on the set. This is really exciting. She says she's beyond excited to begin this journey with Chris and with every Whovian on this planet. It's more than an honor to play the doctor. It means remembering everyone I used to be while stepping forward to embrace the doc, everything the doctor stands for. She can't wait. So I'm excited as well. There has been, of course, some 
controversy. There's a lot of women that are happy about this. There are a lot of who Doctor Who fans that are happy about this. And then, of course, there are the wastes of skin who like to complain about this. Um, Doctor Who is a Time Lord. And for those of you who don't know, Time Lords regenerate every so often. And they can take any form. There's nothing in the rule book that says that Doctor Who cannot be a woman or a man of, or of a different ethnicity, or man or woman of a different ethnicity. So get over it. Stop thinking inside the tunnel and move on. Doctor Who is a woman, and I'm pretty excited. If you're a Whovian, tell me what you feel about it. You don't have to agree with me. You may think this is an abomination. That's okay. That's your right. But let me know what you think about the new Doctor Who. I'm pretty excited. I'm just excited about Doctor Who, regardless of who, who is. Okay, let me hear your thoughts. Sound off and cheers. In our final Mediascope brief of today, I want to talk Amazon. Amazon is doing something else as usual. They filed a trademark for a meal kit treading on Blue Apron's turf. Mm, here we go. They registered a trademark on July 6th for a service described as we do the prep, you be the chef. The service will provide customers prepared food kits ready for cooking and assembly as a meal according to the trademark application. It's going to consist primarily of grains, rice, noodles, pasta, or bakery products according to Amazon. This is what Blue Apron does, is it not? Okay, just saying. So this news was per first reported Sunday about the patent and this ambition by Amazon will no doubt threaten meal kit provider Blue Apron which recently went public as we know. Blue Apron holds the title as the largest meal kit provider in the US followed by German based HelloFresh. Since its initial public offering though shares of Blue Apron have tumbled. In fact just last week the stock closed at a new low after an analyst slapped Blue Apron with a $2 price target citing difficulty with the business becoming profitable ever. <laughs> so Blue Apron stock closed Friday at $7.36 per share, down nearly 10% for the week. And on Monday morning, just this morning, Blue Apron stock was falling more than 10%, hitting an all-time low of below the $7 mark. They're already testing, this is Amazon, testing both uh, food delivery through Amazon Fresh and meal kits, which deliver fresh ingredients and recipes to customers. Amazon first experimented with Amazon Fresh in 2007. Until now though, the testing of the meal kits has no label or slogan or branding, and now they're thinking about that. But they're working on making that a reality. Amazon currently carries meal kits by third parties like Tyson's Foods, Tastemakers, and Martha and Marley Spoon. Last week, Marley Spoon said it will soon be, be selling Dinnerly, which is a more cost-conscious box aimed at helping families cook up things inexpensively. And this is actually the main criticism that people have of these meal prep kits, the fact that they're high prices. Amazon is known for keeping their prices competitively low, and they could be looking to solve this problem, seeing an opportunity in an evolving and expanding market. Uh, so of course, Amazon stock is climbing higher this morning, uh, or climbed higher this morning, I should say, in addition to this uh, development. 
An analyst from UBS issued a note saying that shares could climb 60% higher to $1,600 per share to rival Apple's size. So they say, quote, if Amazon wants to do meal kits, Amazon will do meal kits. Amazon will sell anybody anything they want to buy. Amazon is in the business to sell everything, and this includes food and meal kits. Okay, I are any of you using meal kits? I have not yet, simply because I I go to the store and buy what I need to buy. I don't know competitively price-wise because I shop at Trader Joe's. You guys know that. And to me, everything is really inexpensive there. So I just go and get what I need and cook it. I guess this is for people who don't know how to cook or guess what? Cookbooks. It probably will be cheaper. But all of this is portioned out. It's probably very easy. I'm sorry, I still don't buy it. If you take some time at the end on the weekend, say it's a Sunday, and you get up and you cut your stuff and portion it, you can have meals ready to cook. Although I do agree, it probably is easier, but it's probably cheaper my way, just saying. Anyway, let me know if you use meal kits and what you think about Amazon getting officially into the meal kit game. I hope you're well. Cheers. segment you just heard was from my good friend and podcast partner, Kevin Normalone, the head, chief, and CEO, COO, CFO of the Gnomeflix Movie Club. And as he said, there are others that will charge you your weight in bear claws, but this is absolutely free and you get such value. You get to watch a fantastic movie, hang out with cool people on Anchor, and Get your popcorn, but bring your own. It is absolutely outstanding, and I can't wait. It's all going down this Friday, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're not Eastern Time, do the math. But anyway, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be watching it all together live, or you can watch it anytime from now up until, um, what is it, about 9 o'clock Eastern Time? because that's when the movie will end, somewhere around that. And then we have conversation all the way throughout. It's so much fun. And if you want to participate in the fun and you're not listening to me talk about this on Anchor, you probably should download Anchor. It's for iOS and for Android. And you can live talk back with all of us. It is going to be amazing. Where else can you join a movie club like this? Nowhere, because Kevin is that awesome that he made it up. Anyway, I will talk with you all later. Hope to see you on Friday for the Gnomeflix Movie Club. Cheers. Time for a little caller. You say what? The segment where I take listener call-ins. And I got a really good one from my good friend and podcast co-host, Kevin Gnomalone. And he weighs in on the newest Doctor Who. Tachi, I'm calling in about a woman being cast as the next Doctor Who, and the truth is, I could not be more mad about it. I think it is a huge mistake for the franchise, I think it's a huge mistake for the producers, and pretty much everybody involved in Doctor Who. When I think of all the money I spent flying back and forth to London for multiple callback auditions, and for them to cast a woman after telling me how great all of my auditions were is a huge slap in the face. But in the end, you know what? I do wish her well. And um, just wondering, 
have they cast her companion yet? Because now that the doctor is a woman, I think that she needs a male companion. From the U.S., perhaps. Who producers? You have my contact info. Absolute gall and nerve, Kevin, that they would pick somebody who was so well-known and such an accomplished actress over you. That makes absolutely no sense after you flew back and forth across the Atlantic. Shame on them. Well, yes, we all wish her well, and I know she's going to make an outstanding Doctor Who, and she may be in the running for a new companion once they've used up this companion. And you know what? I think we're due for a gnome as a companion. I'll put in a good word for you. Can't say it's going to help because I don't, I'm chopped liver in, in that world, but I'll do it anyway, simply because it's you. Thanks for calling in, Kevin. I kind of fibbed a little bit. The last Mediascope brief you heard is not going to be the last Mediascope brief because I found a story that's just too good not to include in today's Mediascope brief rundown. So. My friends, welcome back to another Mediascope Brief, and albeit probably the last one, Atari is trying to make a comeback. <gasps> yes, I said it. Last year, the retro console and the NES Classic was an instant hit on the market. It sold out virtually as soon as it went on sale. The SNES Classic, the $89 one, remember, will likely put up even bigger sales if Nintendo can keep up with the demand and the production to meet the demand. Now, Atari is trying to do the same thing. They're trying to see if they can pull off the same trick with their Atari box. The Atari box was cheat, uh, teased with a short trailer at E3, and it was reve revealed in an email today to Atari Diehard. They revealed what the console was going to look like and a few details about the system itself. While the comparison to the NES Classic is really the easiest to make, the Atari box will likely be different in a couple of areas. One, it promises to play both older games via emulation as well as new titles, meaning that the internal hardware will be beefier and therefore more expensive than the NES Classic's $60 price point. For example, it will come with four USB ports and an SD slot, meaning that more games can be loaded in easily. Still no word on what games are going to be available, what kind of controllers will ship with the system, and if the system will have any sort of online capabilities. In an email to supporters, the manufacturers explain, we know you're hungry for more details on specs, games, features, pricing, timing, etc. We're not teasing you intentionally. We want to get this right, so we've opted to share things step by step as we bring Atari Box to life and listen closely to a the Atari community as we do so. The Atari 2600 was released in 1977 and was part of the second generation of home video game consoles, the first home video game console to sell in really large numbers. And over its lifespan, an estimated 30 million 2600s were sold. The NES, in comparison, sold about 32 million units. But part of the reason the NES Classic's recent success for Nintendo it uh, has been a success for Nintendo, is that there are games that have been popular for over 30 years. Super Mario Brothers, The Legend of Zelda, and Metroid are still tremendous draws for Nintendo, and the chance to replay the original titles using something that feels much like the original console is appealing. Atari's 2600 lineup tended to be more heavily based on arcade ports, for example, Pac-Man, Joust, or Spy Hunter, that were later ported to better systems. 
It developed several touchstone titles like Pong, Centipede, and Missile Command, but it's tough to imagine many getting like really excited over the replay of those, right? Atari's more modern franchises are similarly very niche. The most popular is probably Roller Coaster Tycoon. The Atari box might have a difficult uh, time threading the needle of keeping the price low enough to entice people while figuring out ways to offer interesting twists that make it significantly different from the plug and play that already hit the market before. So, for many, the Atari 2600 was the first time they could play video games without putting quarters into a machine, and nostalgia is a positive and powerful market force. The question is whether the Atari box will be able to harness this force successfully. Are you an Atari person? One thing I do want is a uh, classic Atari t-shirt. I think those things are cool as hell. But it looks, I've seen pictures of it, and it's got this original wood grain. It's truly a throwback, but it's got the, it's got a, a more modern feel to it, but it's still a throwback. So let's see if they can harness that nostalgia and get some sales. All right, let me know if you are excited about this Atari reboot, if you were an Atari player, and just what you, what you feel about both the Atari and the SNES coming back. All right, cheers. Thanks everybody for listening to all the Mediascope briefs today. And I forgot to say something. I realize that not all of you are listening to me on Anchor. Some of you are listening on Twitter and on iTunes and other social platforms. As such, if you want to get in touch with me because you want to respond to a segment, feel free to drop me a line at at Tachiata on Twitter. That's at T-A-C-H-I. ADA on Twitter. And basically that's my handle on most social platforms. I look forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a great evening. Cheers.